Book Two, Chapter Two, Part One of The Octopus by Frank Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Underneath the long trestle where Broderson Creek cut the line of the railroad and the upper road, the ground was low and covered with a second growth of gray-green willows. Along the borders of the creek were occasional marshy spots, and now and then Hilma Tree came here to gather watercresses, which she made into salads. The place was picturesque, secluded, an oasis of green shade in all the limitless flat monotony of the surrounding wheatlands. The creek had eroded deep into the little gully, and no matter how hot it was on the baking, shimmering levels of the ranches above, down here one always found oneself enveloped in an odorous, moist coolness. From time to time the incessant murmur of the creek, pouring over and around the larger stones, was interrupted by the thunder of trains roaring out upon the trestle overhead, passing on with the furious gallop of their hundreds of iron wheels, leaving in the air a taint of hot oil, acrid smoke, and reek of escaping steam. On a certain afternoon in the spring of the year, Hilma was returning to Quien Sabe from Hooven's by the trail that led from Los Muertos to Annixter's ranch houses, under the trestle. She had spent the afternoon with Minna Hooven, who for the time being was kept indoors because of a wrenched ankle. As Hilma descended into the gravel flats and thickets of willows underneath the trestle, she decided that she would gather some cresses for her supper that night. She found a spot round the base of one of the supports of the trestle where the cresses grew thickest and plucked a couple of handfuls, washing them in the creek and pinning them up in her handkerchief. It made a little round cold bundle, and Hilma, warm from her walk, found a delicious enjoyment in pressing the damp ball of it to her cheeks and neck. For all the change that Annixter had noted in her upon the occasion of the barn dance, Hilma remained in many things a young child. She was never at a loss for enjoyment, and could always amuse herself when left alone. Just now she chose to drink from the creek, lying prone on the ground, her face half buried in the water, and this not because she was thirsty, but because it was a new way to drink. She imagined herself a belated traveller, a poor girl, an outcast, quenching her thirst at the wayside brook, her little packet of cresses doing duty for a bundle of clothes. Night was coming on. Perhaps it would storm. She had nowhere to go. She would apply at a hut for shelter. Abruptly, the temptation to dabble her feet in the creek presented itself to her. Always she had liked to play in the water. What a delight now to take off her shoes and stockings and wade out into the shallows near the bank. She had worn low shoes that afternoon, and the dust of the trail had filtered in above the edges. At times she felt the grit and grey sand on the soles of her feet, and the sensation had set her teeth on edge. What a delicious alternative the cold, clean water suggested, and how easy it would be to do as she pleased just then, if only she were a little girl. In the end, it was stupid to be grown up. Sitting upon the bank, one finger tucked into the heel of her shoe, Hilma hesitated. Suppose a train should come. She fancied she could see the engineer leaning from the cab with a great grin on his face, or the brakeman shouting jibes at her from the platform. 
Abruptly she blushed scarlet. The blood throbbed in her temples. Her heart beat. Since the famous evening of the barn dance, Annixter had spoken to her but twice. Hilma no longer looked after the ranch house these days. The thought of setting foot within Annixter's dining-room and bedroom terrified her, and in the end her mother had taken over that part of her work. Of the two meetings with the master of Quien Sabe, one had been a mere exchange of good mornings, as the two happened to meet over by the artesian well. The other, more complicated, had occurred in the dairy house again, Annixter pretending to look over the new cheese press, asking about details of her work. When this had happened on that previous occasion, ending with Annixter's attempt to kiss her, Hilma had been talkative enough, chattering on from one subject to another, never at a loss for a theme. But this last time was a veritable ordeal. No sooner had Annixter appeared than her heart leaped and quivered like that of the hound harried doe. Her speech failed her. Throughout the whole brief interview she had been miserably tongue-tied, stammering monosyllables, confused, horribly awkward, and when Annixter had gone away she had fled to her little room, and bolting the door had flung herself face downward on the bed and wept as though her heart were breaking. She did not know why. That Annixter had been overwhelmed with business all through the winter was an inexpressible relief to Hilma. His affairs took him away from the ranch continually. He was absent sometimes for weeks, making trips to San Francisco or to Sacramento or to Bonneville. Perhaps he was forgetting her, overlooking her, and while at first she told herself that she asked nothing better, the idea of it began to occupy her mind. She began to wonder if it was really so. She knew his trouble. Everybody did. The news of the sudden forward movement of the railroad's forces inaugurating the campaign had flared white-hot and blazing all over the countryside. To Hilma's notion, Annixter's attitude was heroic beyond all expression. His courage in facing the railroad, as he had faced Delaney in the barn, seemed to her the pitch of sublimity. She refused to see any auxiliaries aiding him in his fight. To her imagination, the great league which all the ranchers were joining was a mere form. Single-handed, Annixter fronted the monster. But for him, the corporation would gobble Quien Sabe as a whale would a minnow. He was a hero who stood between them all and destruction. He was a protector of her family. He was her champion. She began to mention him in her prayers every night adding a further petition to the effect that he would become a good man, and that he would not swear so much, and that he should never meet Delaney again. However, as Hilma still debated the idea of bathing her feet in the creek, a train did actually thunder past overhead, the regular evening overland, the through express that never stopped between Bakersfield and Fresno. It stormed by with a deafening clamor and a whirl of smoke in a long succession of way-coaches and chocolate-colored pullmans, grimy with the dust of the great deserts of the southwest. The quivering of the trestle supports set a tremble in the ground underfoot. The thunder of wheels drowned all sound of the flowing of the creek, and also the noise of the buckskin mare's hoofs descending from the trail upon the gravel about the creek, so that Hilma, turning about after the passage of the train, 
saw Annixter close at hand with the abruptness of a vision. He was looking at her, smiling, as he rarely did, the firm line of his outthrust lower lip relaxed good-humouredly. He had taken off his campaign hat to her, and though his stiff yellow hair was twisted into a bristling mop, the little persistent tuft on the crown, usually defiantly erect as an Apache's scalp-lock, was nowhere in sight. "'Hello, it's uh, you, is it, Miss Hilma?' he exclaimed, getting down from the buckskin and allowing her to drink. Hilma nodded, scrambling to her feet, dusting her skirt with nervous pats of both hands. Annixter sat down on a great rock close by, and the loop of the bridle over his arm lit a cigar and began to talk. He complained of the heat of the day, the bad condition of the lower road, over which he had come on his way from a committee meeting of the League at Los Muertos, of the slowness of the work on the irrigating ditch, and, as a matter of course, of the general hard times. "'Miss Hillman,' he said abruptly, "'never you marry a ranchman. He's never out of trouble.' Hilma gasped, her eyes widening till the full round of the pupil was disclosed. Instantly a certain inexplicable guiltiness overpowered her with incredible confusion. Her hands trembled as she pressed the bundle of cresses into a hard ball between her palms. Annixter continued to talk. He was disturbed and excited himself at this unexpected meeting. Never through all the past winter months of strenuous activity, the fever of political campaigns, the harrowing delays, and ultimate defeat in one law court after another, had he forgotten the look in Hilma's face as he stood with one arm around her on the floor of his barn, in peril of his life from the buster's revolver. That dumb confession of Hilma's wide-open eyes had been enough for him. Yet, somehow, he never had had a chance to act upon it. During the short period when he could be on his ranch, Hilma had always managed to avoid him. Once, even, she had spent a month, about Christmas time, with her mother's father, who kept a hotel in San Francisco. Now, today, however, he had her all to himself. He would put an end to the situation that troubled him and vexed him, day after day, month after month. Beyond question, the moment had come for something definite. He could not say precisely what. Readjusting his cigar between his teeth, he resumed his speech. It suited his humor to take the girl into his confidence, following an instinct which warned him that this would bring about a certain closeness of their relations, a certain intimacy. "'What do you think of this row anyways, Miss Hilma, this railroad fuss in general? Think Shellgrim and his rushers are going to jump Keen Sabe, are going to run us off the ranch?' "'Oh, no, sir.' protested Hilma, still breathless. Oh, no, it did not. Well, what, then? Hilma made a little uncertain movement of ignorance. I don't know what. Well, the League agreed today that if the test cases were lost in the Supreme Court, you know, we've appealed to the Supreme Court at Washington, we'd fight. Fight? Yes, fight. A fight like like you and Mr. Delaney that time with, oh dear, with, with guns? I, I don't know, grumbled Annixter vaguely. What do you think? Hilma's low-pitched, almost husky voice trembled a little as she replied. Fighting, 
guns. Oh, that's so terrible. Oh, those revolvers in the barn. I can hear them yet. Every shot seemed like the explosion of tons of powder. Shall we clear out, then? Shall we let Delaney have possession and S. Behrman and all that lot? Shall we give in to them? Never, never, she exclaimed, her great eyes flashing. You wouldn't like to be turned out of your home, would you, Miss Hilma? Because Quien Sabe is your home, isn't it? You've lived here ever since you were as big as a minute. You wouldn't like to have S. Behrman and the rest of them turn you out. N no, she murmured. No, I, I shouldn't like that. There's Mama and... Well, do you think for one second I'm going to let him? cried Annixter, his teeth tightening on his cigar. You stay right where you are. I'll take care of you right enough. Look here, he demanded abruptly. You've no use for that roaring lush Delaney, have you? I think he is a wicked man, she declared. I know the railroad has pretended to sell him part of the ranch, and he lets Mr. S. Behrman and Mr. Ruggles just use him. Right. I thought you wouldn't be keen on him. There was a long pause. The buckskin began blowing among the pebbles, nosing for grass, and Annixter shifted his cigar to the other corner of his mouth. Pretty place, he murmured, looking around him. And then he added, uh, Miss Hilma, see here. I want to have a kind of talk with you, if you don't mind. I, I don't know just how to say these sort of things, and if I get all balled up as I go along, you just set it down to the fact that I've never had any experience in dealing with female girls, understand? You see, ever since the barn dance, yes, long before then, I've been thinking a lot about you. Straight, I have, and I guess you know it. You're about the only girl that I ever knew well, and I guess, he declared deliberately, you're about the only one I want to know. It's my nature. You didn't say anything that time when we stood there together and Delaney was playing the fool, but somehow I got the idea that you didn't want Delaney to do for me one little bit, that if he'd got me, then you would have been sorrier than if he'd got anyone else. Well, I felt just that way about you. I would rather have had him shoot any other girl in the room than you. Yes, or in the whole state. Why, if anything should happen to you, Miss Hilma, well, I wouldn't care to go on with anything. S. Behrman could jump King Sabe and welcome, and Delaney could shoot me full of holes whenever he got good and ready. I'd quit. I'd lay right down. I wouldn't care a hoop about anything any more. You are the only girl for me in the whole world. Oh, I, I didn't think so at first. I didn't want to. But seeing you around every day and seeing how pretty you were and how clever and hearing your voice and all, why, it just got all inside of me somehow and now I can't think of anything else. I hate to go to San Francisco or Sacramento or Visalia or even Bonneville for only a day just because you aren't there in any of those places and I just rush what I've got to do so I can get back here. While you were away that Christmas time, why, I was as lonesome as... Oh, oh, you don't know anything about it. I just scratched off the days on the calendar every night, one by one, till you got back. 
and it just comes to this. I want you with me all the time. I want you should have a home that's my home, too. I want to take care of you and have you all for myself, you understand? What do you say? Hilma, standing up before him, retied a knot in her handkerchief bundle with elaborate precaution, blinking at it through her tears. What do you say, Miss Hilma? Annixter repeated. How, how about that? Uh, what, what do you say? Just above a whisper, Hilma murmured, I, I, I don't know. Don't know what? Don't you think we could hit it off together? I don't know. Well, I know we could, Hilma. I, I don't mean to scare you. What are you crying for? I don't know. Annixter got up, cast away his cigar, and, dropping the buckskin's bridle, came and stood beside her, putting a hand on her shoulder. Hilma did not move, and he felt her trembling. She still plucked at the knot of the handkerchief. I can't do without you, little girl, Annixter continued, and I want you. I want you bad. I don't get much fun out of life ever. It sure isn't my nature, I guess. I'm a hard man. Everybody's trying to down me, and now I'm up against the railroad. I'm fighting them all, Hilma, night and day, lock, stock, and barrel, and I'm fighting now for my home, my land, everything I have in the world. If I win out, I want somebody to be glad with me. If I don't, I want somebody to be sorry for me, sorry with me. And that somebody is you. I am dog-tired of going it alone. I, I want someone to back me up. I want to feel you alongside of me, to give me a touch of the shoulder now and then. I'm tired of fighting for things. Land, property, money. I want to fight for some person. Somebody beside myself. Understand? I want to feel that it isn't all selfishness, that there are other interests than mine in the game, that there's someone dependent on me, and that's thinking of me as I'm thinking of them. Someone I can come home to at night and put my arm around, like this, and have her put her two arms around me, like... He paused a second, and once again, as it had been in that moment of imminent peril, when he stood with his arm around her, their eyes met. Put her two arms around me, prompted Annixter, half-smiling. Like, uh, like what, Hilma? I don't know. Like what, Hilma? He insisted. Like, like this? She questioned. With a movement of infinite tenderness and affection, she slid her arms around his neck, still crying a little. End of Book Two, Chapter Two, Part One.